Yo, 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 what's good, everybody? Welcome back. Welcome back to another episode of the Isaiah Kid Podcast. Welcome back, man. Sheesh. <clears throat> Sheesh. Ah, uh, boy, I couldn't get I couldn't give you guys a Saturday episode. Like I said, I'm still trying to adjust, still transitioning and so forth. But best to believe football season is here. Football season is here. So you can this this is the thing. Before I even get into my whole like intro, get into my whole soliloquy about uh, you know, my topics today and so forth, this is what you guys can guarantee. You guys can guarantee that I'm gonna give you an episode every week. I usually do two episodes. I usually have a Wednesday episode and I usually have um a Saturday episode. Given the circumstances, <clears throat> or I should say my circumstances. <laughs> As far as being in college and, you know, dorm and, you know, all the stuff that comes with college, right? And the lifestyle. Uh, you guys can guarantee that you guys are going to get one episode, at least one episode a week. I'm going to try my very best to, con to, to you know, withstand and sustain and sustain the two weeks, the two episodes per week. But you can guarantee it for sure. I am going to upload at least one episode a week, at least, at least you're going to get, you're going to guaranteed at least one episode a week. So <clears throat> unless I say otherwise, um, so welcome back, everybody. Welcome back. Welcome back. I'm great. I'm good. I hope you guys are doing good as well. <clears throat> uh, like I said, college football was, you know, we, uh, uh, an amazing weekend for college football, uh, I hope everybody, in, in, you know, enjoyed their Labor Day weekend, holiday weekend. So we got that Monday off, uh, oh, most of us, right? Um, but um, I hope you guys enjoyed that. I hope you guys are doing well, staying fit, staying healthy. Um, so, and, and I got a pretty good episode for you guys today. I do. I'm going to make it up. Like I said, I'm going to make it up, with a, you know, for missing on Saturday. I got a pretty good episode for you guys. Uh, but college football, you know, Alabama, we had a, you know, we, we had a couple, like, notable big-time schools with first-year or uh, quarterbacks that's making their first starts um, or quarterbacks that's, you know, that's getting, you know, CJ Stroud uh from from um Ohio State. We had Bryce Young from Alabama. They both had pretty good outings. Uh Bryce Young from Alabama was outstanding. <laughs> he was outstanding. He was outstanding. Um also Clemson, they had that little hiccup. <laughs> they ran into a really, really good Georgia defense. That that Georgia's defense is amazing. Uh obviously LSU lost. So I'm gonna tackle those points. Um, but First and foremost, I'm your humble and highly favored host, Isaiah Kidd of the Isaiah Kidd Podcast. Um, appreciate you guys for continue to tap in, tune in with me, uh, staying, staying the course. <laughs> but let's get into it. Let's not waste any more time. Let's get into it. I want to, and since we're two days away from, it's Tuesday, so I'm recording on Tuesday. By the time you guys hear this, it'll be available for you guys on Wednesday. Um, so for me, we're two days away from opening night in the NFL, the Cowboys versus the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. We're, we're, we're two nights away. We're two days away. And you guys know I've laid out my predictions. I, I, I'm probably, at the end of this episode, I'm going to lay out my predictions again because that was almost like a couple weeks. That was like a, 
several weeks removed. So I am going to give you guys like a refresh of who I think is going to win a division and who I, you know, my playoff teams and so forth right before the season starts. Right. So I'm, I'm a, at the end of like, you know, in the middle of the episode or probably at the tail end of the episode, if you want to stick around, um, you can hear that. I'm going to give you guys my, my division winners and so forth again, again. So as I said, Cowboys, they are, they're, they're about to kick off their season. The Tampa Buccaneers, ring night. Thursday night is going to be amazing, right? The ratings, I'm sure the ratings are going to be pretty good. <laughs> it's the Cowboys, you know, the you know the most valued sports team, franchise, whatever, um, in, in sports, along with defending champions, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, along with Tom Brady and the crew. So it's going to be great. Presentation is going to be great. Let me tell you this. Let me tell you this. Now that Dallas, the Dallas Cowboys, if you haven't heard, uh, they've had over the last like week and a half or so, they've had 16 players uh, that have entered the COVID protocol. Um, and most notably, right guard uh, Zach Martin has caught COVID. He caught COVID. And his status for Thursday night's game is probably unlikely. He probably won't play because he has he would have to get two negative tests um, and show no signs of symptoms. So he probably won't play on Thursday. Um, and Zach Martin's arguably the Cowboys' best player, right? He like you can make an argument that Zach Martin is probably the Cowboys' best player. That's I think you could you know one one could make that argument and. I must admit, going into this game, week one, Thursday night, going down to Tampa Bay, facing the defending champions, a lot of people think the Buccaneers, they, they're, they're returning all 22 starters. Uh, they return, and that's that's really rare. You look at the course of Super Bowl winners, it's rare when you're able to win the Super Bowl and then bring back all of your guys that that same core group really difficult, and they brought back the same coaching staff. So I expect the Buccaneers to be clicking. I expect the Buccaneers to be clicking, and Cowboy fans, hear me out clearly. Hear me out. Be patient with this. The Cowboys have a lot of questions going into Week One. A lot of questions. We haven't seen Dak in the preseason. We know. In order for Dallas to have some type of success this year, their offensive line has to be intact along with, uh, with along with seeing a better version of Ezekiel Elliott, the one, you know, the a version that we have, you know, that we need to see somewhat of his rookie year, um, somewhat of his second year, because over the last couple years, there's obviously been a decline in, in Zeke's production, right? So that's obvious. We all know those things. We like the Cowboys defensively. We hope that they have gotten better. Um, or you know, Cowboy fans for for their sake, for you guys' sake. <laughs> um, we hope that the defense has gotten better. Um, or you know, there's some young promising players on defense that they have drafted and so forth. The the hiring of Dan Quinn. You know, we, we there's so there's still so many questions. Even with Mike McCarthy, even 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 with Mike McCarthy. There's still so many questions about this Cowboys team. And with this Buccaneers team, they're, they're going to be clicking. I, I, I feel it. And I, like I said, we're two days away from the game.
but I can I can already feel I have a feeling that the Buccaneers I think the Buccaneers are gonna win. They're gonna win. They're gonna win Thursday night's game. But I think they're gonna win Thursday night game. Thursday night's game probably by at least ten points. If I'm being real, they're, I think Tampa is gonna be clicking. Um, I think. Like I said, they have their nucleus together and so forth, uh, and they've had more time to jail. And when I'm just looking at just different stuff, as far as you guys know how I pick these games, um, if you're a regular listener, uh, Tampa Bay have so many advantages. Like, they got a coaching advantage. Uh, their defense is obviously better. Um, their quarterback, like their offensive line, like it, there's just more advantages in, 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 you know, stuff just pointing in Tampa Bay's direction. Not to say the Cowboys are not going to be a bad or not going to be a good team. And I'm going to get to that. But the advantages are just pointing towards Tampa Bay. So that's why I think Tampa Bay is going to win this game on Thursday. Um, and I think, like I said, I think they're going to probably win by at least 10 points. But that's besides the point. The granular point. Uh, as far as the count from a Cowboys perspective is this. The Cowboys, <clears throat> they, in the long run, I think they're going to be okay. And, as, and, and this is why I'm going to do a refresh of my predictions because I predicted the Cowboys, I predicted that they would go 10 and 7 and they would win their division. And the, one of the reasons, and I'm not really in love with this Cowboys team um, and how it's set up. Uh, I think offensively they have a really they have offensively they have a really good chance of being really special and putting up some big time numbers offensively. Defensively, I still got some question marks. I think they're going to be a little bit better than what they were last year because last year they were just so bad that I don't even know you can get worse than that. So I still got some questions defensively, but I think in the long run after this Tampa Bay game, this is the key thing. The Cowboys, two th- two key things. The Cowboys have the second easiest schedule this year. The second easiest schedule in football this year. So that, that so that right there is already a recipe for having somewhat of a successful season. They play, it's, it's important to add that they also play not in a, like the NFC East last year was wacky, but the NFC East, I expected to be better this year. But it's still a, a division that's just weird with a lot of question marks with these teams. So they play in a, a very much wide open, winnable division. It's not like they're playing in the NFC West or the AFC North or the AFC West. Like, no, like they they have a they this 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 division is very much open and winnable. Um, and then I think the most important thing with this Cowboys schedule is this. The Cowboys, after week one, after Tampa Bay, the Cowboys don't play a playoff team from last year until November 21st. So that's like week 11, week 12, week 13. That's around that range. So you're talking about maybe 10 weeks of the Cowboys playing teams that were either below 500 last year, didn't make the playoffs last year, even got a young coach or a young quarterback or, you know, a subpar to average or bad defense. So there's just so many variables and layers where you look at you look in between this like the, like the 10 week span where the Cowboys are basically playing mediocre teams for the most part. Like 
there's some teams in there that that we think are the, like we think they're going to be good. I think they play the Chargers, but like we think the Chargers are going to be good, but we don't know how long it's going to take for them to jail and so forth. Um, they got a first year head coach, so it's stuff. It's little variables like that where the Cowboys they got a lot of not a lot of cupcakes, but their schedule it's it, it's very this schedule. Uh, will allow the Cowboys, even with so many question marks, they can peel off nine to ten wins with this schedule. I mean, or just based off the, their schedule, they can peel off nine to ten wins. Now, obviously, they have to remain healthy. No catastrophic injuries of 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 the sort, right? That's that's always the thing. But you look at what they can do offensively. A lot of a lot of team. It's going to be Dallas is going to score a lot of points. I don't think that's going to be the problem. I think the the the, the issue um, or the question that I think has to be answered uh, for the, for the Cowboys is how can you obviously maintain your health uh, concerning your offensive line, but how is your defense going to play? Like, is your defense? What's the identity of your defense? Is it going to be a defense that's going to turn over um, opposing offenses? Is it going to be a defense that's able to get to the quarterback? Is it a defense that's going to give up a lot of yardage, bend but don't break? Are they, like we? So there's still so many questions with the defense, but the Cowboys, I think, are going to be okay. Now, that's why that, and that's why I'm putting this out there. After Thursday night, like I said, I think Tampa Buccaneers, I think the Buccaneers are going to win, and I think they're going to win by at least 10 points. Now, watch on Friday. The after Watch on Friday. Just watch other different, you know, di- just watch how different people react and so forth to the Cowboys losing. I think the Cowboys are going to be okay. I think they are going to lose week one, but I think they're going to be okay looking at their schedule for the next two and a half months. Look at September, October, and the first half of November. It's a lot of winnable games, and it's a lot of games. It's a lot of wins that the Cowboys can peel off if they if they stay the course. I really do think that. I think the Cowboys are gonna be okay. Like, and I'm not like I said, I'm not, I'm not in love with this Cowboys team. I don't, I'm not in like the structure and how they're built. Mm, uh, somewhat questionable. You guys know how I feel about that and how I feel the Cowboys, I think, are the Cowboys are definitely top heavy. But in terms of winnable games and games that are, you know, attainable, it, there's there the Cowboys will have their share where they can win nine, 10, maybe even 11 games if they play their hand right. Uh, just looking at the schedule, just looking at the schedule, looking at the division that they're in. It's a wide open division, it's a wide open race. Um, the NFC East hasn't had a back-to-back winner in like the what last like 15 years, like so like they haven't had a back-to-back winner since like 04. <laughs> the Cowboys like the, the the NFC East hasn't had a back-to-back winner since 04, 05. So that's what that's been like 16, 17 years. So it's a it's definitely a wide open division, a winnable division, and I'm looking at that's that those are the key things. Second easiest schedule in the league. And then between after from from week two all the way up to November 21st, the Cowboys don't have to play a playoff team from last year. That's important. I think that's important to note. Um, So, you know, we'll see what happens. But I think the Cowboys will lose. But I think they'll be okay in the long haul. They'll be fine in the long haul. So let's uh, let's move on. 
Okay, so we're about 15 and a, 15 and a half minutes into the episode, so I hope you guys are enjoying. But uh, let's move on to Matthew Stafford and L.A. Rams. Uh, if you guys if you guys can recall a couple weeks back, I did a I did a topic I did a segment um, on Matthew Stafford and basically basically explaining um, and saying uh, that he probably has the most pressure out of any quarterback in the league this year, probably any player. Uh, if I'm being frank, as far as the expectations and what is expected with the new situation that he has around him. Um, and I hear people saying, well, 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 Matthew Stafford isn't a savior. I hear people saying he's not going to just be this savior that a lot of Ram fans and a lot of the media is thinking that he's going to be. And <clears throat> I don't think Matthew Stafford is a savior. I think, like I said, I still I, I still remain on my point, and I'm going to stay consistent to my point about him having a lot of pressure. I think the pressure is undoubtedly, you know, he has pressure, you know, riding on him this season. I mean, because we, we we do we, – we acknowledge the fact that he's a talented guy. We get that point. We've been talking about that. We've been talking about – we've been talking about Matthew Stafford talent since high school and college and you know he was no obviously he was the number one overall draft pick so like talent we've always been talking about his talent um and at times it has kind of gone under the rug because he's played for the Detroit Lions but we understand I think most of us understand that Matthew Stafford is a talented guy as far as the physical traits and the physical abilities we understand he's a talented guy but People are saying that Matthew Stafford isn't just going to be he, he, like they're saying he's not the savior. They're saying he's not going to be this quarterback that's just ultimately just transformational. And he's just not going to come in and save the day for the Rams. Well, my my. My take to that. If I will, to anybody that thinks that he isn't a savior and like and I'm not I'm not saying he is a savior. I'm not saying he is going to be this transformational quarterback that's going to take the Rams to new leaps and bounds or to the next leaps and bounds. Not saying that at all, but it's the Rams. Do they really need a savior at the quarterback position or do they need a guy who is um, dynamic enough with their arm or the legs? In this case, with Matthew Stafford, he has a dynamic arm. Um, do, do, do they need a savior or a guy who can really stretch the field, a guy who Sean McVay can trust and rely on as far as play calling? And there is more flexibility with the play calling and the play calling isn't as predictable as it once was or as it once became with Jared Goff or under Jared Goff. I think there's a difference. I think there's a distinct difference between the Rams between a savior and a transformational type of guy and a guy that you just need a or a quarterback in, in, in the Rams situation. I think the Rams just need a quarterback that Sean McVay first trusts and is, is willing to be flexible as far as the play calling and a guy who dynamically can, can do more things than Jared Goff did. And I think Matthew Stafford is that guy. I'm not saying Matthew Stafford is going to be a savior. I don't think he needs to be a savior because this Rams team is really good. Despite it being, like I said, despite it being very top heavy, um, the Ram, this Rams team compared to last year or even the year before last, maybe it's not as good. 
but it's still a really good football team. This Rams team is really is still really good. This team is going to be able to win a bunch of ball games um, if they remain healthy. This team should be in the thick of the playoff conversation. So this team is really good. Let's not get that mistaken. But that's that's the that's my point. I don't. This team is so good. They don't need a savior at quarterback. They just need a guy who Sean McVay trusts, who Sean McVay has faith in as far as play calling, being flexible, and a guy who can be dynamic and put and and make certain throws, make those difficult throws. And with Jared Goff, and, 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 you know, it seems like people just bang on Jared Goff, bang on Jared Goff. And it's not necessarily bang on Jared Goff, but it's just a mere fact. It's just a mere reality where Jared Goff had his limitations. And I know Stafford uh, is not like like the most – he's not more like – Stafford's not like athletically imposing. Like he's not going to be, you know, this freakish athlete. But the things – the throws that he can make – um and just certain capabilities that he have with his arm, Jared Goff just can't do. Jared Goff just can't do. So when when so when people say, "Oh, Matthew Stafford is not going to be a savior," and Matthew Stafford is not transformational, and I, I didn't say none of those things. I don't. I don't. But I don't. Even if he's not, I don't think he needs to be, because this Rams team is really good, and they just need a quarterback first that's not going to put them in messed up situations as far as their defense. Jared Goff. Had a, he was he, he turned into a turnover machine the last two years. Simple as that. Jared Goff was amongst the top of the league as far as turnovers. When he was amongst he was amongst the guys similar names such as Daniel Jones, Jameis Winston. Jared Goff became a turnover machine, which led to Sean McVay losing trust. And then you you topple that with the fact that he has limitations as far as his arm and so forth, and the you know certain capabilities of Jared Goff. Simple as that. I mean, so so when so when people say, "Oh, Matthew Stafford's not gonna be, he's not gonna be a transformational guy. He's not gonna be the savior that most people like." No, but do the Rams need him to be a savior? I don't think they do. I don't. I I don't think the Rams need. I don't think the Rams need him to be a savior. I think the Rams overall they have a good enough coach, smart enough coach offensively, who I who I trust, who I think a lot of us trust. Um, they have a good. They have a good enough defense. A defense that's really good, that's going to keep them in a lot of games. They're, and like I said, granted, they're top-heavy. Granted, they had a, a really serious injury uh, to Cam Akers, who I think, you know, that's going to hurt. But I still think they're going to be able to do what they want to do offensively. I think Sean McVay is going to be innovative and creative enough offensively where he can he can overcome a loss at the running back position. Now, they're very thin at that position, but I think they'll find ways throughout the season. I think they'll find creative and unique ways to move the ball and try to find ways to move the ball offensively. And a lot of that is going to have to do with Matthew Stafford and the fact that Matthew Stafford doesn't have limitations or similar limitations to to Jared Goff. Matthew Stafford doesn't have that. So that's the so when when I so when I hear because I I I've heard quite a few people say oh Matthew Stafford is not transformational Matthew Stafford is not this Matthew Stafford is not a savior nah he's not I don't think he is I don't think he is because if he was like this transformational guy or this savior he I think there would have been some a little bit of more results 
in, Det- in Detroit, given the fact that Detroit is a bad situation, it has been a bad situation um, since, I don't know, since I've been living at least, <laughs> um, it's been, Detroit has been a bad situation. The Rams, they're totally different. They don't need a savior. They don't need a guy that's going to be a just transformational all-world talent. They were they were literally one win away from winning the Super Bowl with Jared Goff. And I talked about how Jared Goff has limitations. They were literally in the Super Bowl with Jared Goff. So I'm not saying they're going to get back to the Super Bowl with Matthew Stafford. I mean, that the goal, you would think the goal at least is to get to the NFC Championship game because they lost last year to the Packers in a divisional round. And if we're saying Stafford, which I am, I think Stafford is an upgrade. If we're saying he's an upgrade, then they should advance uh, further past than what they did last year. So we'll see. And I think I have a good feeling about the Rams um, and their team this year. I, I really do. We'll see what happens. But this whole Matthew Stafford isn't a savior or isn't he's not transformational. Yeah, I mean, you very well could be true. If you're if you want to make that argument, that's fine. But I don't think the Rams need a transformational guy. I just think they need a guy. I think they need a, a better playmaker, a better um, a, a, a guy um, under center who's a better decision maker um and who doesn't have those same limitations as far as arm and different you know make being able to make these throws Matthew Stafford just doesn't have those same limitations that Jared Goff have simple as that so uh I heard you know I've been hearing people say oh Matthew Stafford isn't this yeah maybe he maybe he isn't but the Rams good thing the Rams don't need I don't think the Rams need him to be that I think they're good enough. They're well coached enough. They have good. They, their personnel is good enough, where they don't need Matthew Stafford to be Superman every week. That was the whole point of him leaving Detroit, because he had to be literally Superman every week. And sometimes he would be able to do it, but sometimes he would fall short, and that's what happened in Detroit. Uh, but we'll see. We'll see. We'll see. Okay, so as I mentioned already, um, at the beginning of the episode, I talked about college football, and I must admit, I didn't get a chance to watch all of the games or the games that I really wanted to watch. Like I told you guys, I watched Ohio State. Uh, they did a they, you know, offensively they look pretty good. Defensively, still some of the same issues that they had. Um, obviously Alabama and so forth. Uh, North Carolina, they played uh, Virginia Tech. That was a really that was a big time thriller um, in, in in Virginia, but in Virginia Tech. But um, I wanted to talk about LSU because I thought there was going into this weekend. I thought there was a chance that UCLA could pull off the upset um, versus LSU, and they did. They did very much. They did very much do that, and I think. I think it's something to be said before I even go on LSU and on Ed and Coach O, you know, Ed, Ed Orgeron there. I think there is something to be said. I think this is this might be Chip's Chip Kelly's best team at UCLA. Um, I think this might be his best team at UCLA. So that is something to be said. Um, so I don't want people to over exaggerate and take out of context on what I'm about to say and what I'm about to break down as far as uh, LSU. Uh, and Coach O, but 
it was a big oh oh and oh no in 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 UCLA or I should say at Pasadena in the Rose Bowl where LSU lost to UCLA and it, it, you know, those conversations already has sparked up about Coach O being on the hot seat. And I'm not I'm not ready to just give up and fold and say, oh, it's time to fire and move on from Coach O. But I do want to add, I do want to, in a, in a way, uh, talk about how, how weird this whole transition from the national championship and back in 2019 – from the pandemic year, obviously, last year, and then this upcoming year right now, uh, you know, the LSU starts off in the, in the, in the L column. So LSU, like I said, <clears throat> Ed Orgeron, he won the national championship in 2019. Uh, last year, the, the la- last year, they went five and five, but it was a miserable year for LSU. At one point, they were three and five, and if you if you peel back the layers, they were three and five at one point throughout the season, during the season, uh, the first eight games. But then remember, they had the miracle Florida win, when where the kid like threw the shoe, took off the shoe, took off his cleek and threw the cleek. That was the miracle Florida win uh, that LSU got. That that's what made them four and five. So they won a couple of games. They cut. They won a. They won some nail biters down the stretch of the season. They finished off five and five. And defensively, LSU was one of the worst teams in the nation. So, and last year, it got it kind of got swept under the rug a bit because it was COVID and you know the the, the whole unknown. And they didn't like we didn't know they didn't know they were going to be playing college football last year, uh, even though the SEC they started on time um, or as close to on time as any other conference, but still. Coach O could have, you know, he hung his hat on, you know, COVID, didn't have spring training, uh, you know, those those type of variables that usually come with a regular uh, college football season, or I should say something that leads up to the college football season, right? And so kind of got a pass. But the UCLA game, uh, the game that LSU lost – it looked very similar to what they looked like last year, especially defensively. Defensively, it looked a lot like what they looked like last year, uh, giving up a lot of yardage, giving up some big plays throughout the air. And I, I don't know. I, and like I said, I'm not ready to say, okay, LSU needs to fire Coach O. I don't, I'm not saying that because I do think when you win a national championship, I do think there is some type of or there should be some type of grace period between like three, four, maybe even five years, maybe three or four years to give you enough time to get that to get another set of recruits and your recruiting class back in there and regenerate what you you know, what you had um, as far as, you know, that championship winning season. So I, I do think you get a grace period. When you win a national championship, I do think you get a grace period. But the, the, the thing with Coach O is he's not really a big X's and O's guy, uh, like offensively or defensively. He's more of an overseer. And with when when with a college football coach like that, uh, with, with like Coach O, he needs, I feel like he needs, and and, and you could, this could probably be said for all of the, 
top co- coaches or programs around the league uh, or around college football, I should say. But Coach O especially, I think he needs really good assistance offensively and defensively. Um, I think it, 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 I think I think that's well said, if it were well put, or the best way I could put it. He's a guy. He's more of a motivator and recruiting tactics of of sort. Not really the big. He's not huge on X's and O's. Um, and Joe Brady, you know, they 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 fail. Joe Brady left after the national championship game. After the national championship year, Joe Brady left for the Carolina Panthers to become the OC and they haven't quite, they haven't quite filled the void yet. Um, their defensive assist, their defensive assistant left after the championship year, they haven't filled the void yet. So they're lacking sort of in the assistant coaching department and it shows within the, you know, especially the defensive unit um, that took a step back from you look at what they were, their national championship year and you look at what they were last year and then we we saw a glimpse of their defense week one granted week one there's still plenty of time there'll be plenty of games where where LSU will have they have time to get their season back on track right the season's not over it's not a lost cause yet but it is cause for pause and it you know it is a, a bit of an eyebrow raiser um and like I said one could make the argument, and I think it's a valid. I think it's a very valid argument that UCLA is better than what people thought. Um, like I said, I think this might be Chip Kelly's uh, best team at UCLA. So we'll see how that how that you know materializes. But LSU, you know, and, and, and think about this: it's two things. Think about this. First, Nick Saban. The reason why. <clears throat> I bring up Nick Saban is because we saw the same thing with Gus Malzahn uh, at Auburn um, and Gene Chizik at Auburn. Actually, Gene, Gene Chizik, he won a national championship back with Cam Newton and those guys. Yeah, and he, won a, he, he won a national championship. Then two years later, he got fired. A lot of that has to do with Nick Saban and the dominance of Alabama. Because with the dominance of Alabama, it literally, especially in the SEC West, because you got to play Alabama every single year, and especially for those two programs, LSU and Auburn, where they're usually in the thick of things and really trying to compete, and it's it's a rivalry game. So, like, you want to win those. Um, I'm sure the boosters want they want they want to see their school win those games, but. It, it puts with with Saban and Alabama and their dominance. It just puts it puts some unrealistic expectations upon a program, and in this case, a particular coach. And we saw the same thing with Gene Chizik at Auburn. Won the national championship. Two years later, he's gone. He's out of there. Gus Malzahn. He was. He was. He. He. Uh, I think did he get fired this past year? I think got fired this past year, um, or the the year before last. And Nick Saban, and I'm not saying it's Nick Saban's fault, but he he does play a role in this where his dominance just puts unrealistic expectations on opposing coaches. And then these programs, they somehow or, or, or at times they become a bit anxious 
and they pull the plug and they try to find a new guy. And it's 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 so it's so similar to uh, Belichick, Bill Belichick. For years in New England, Belichick would dominate, right? You know, twenty year dynasty, right? And, and it, it's so so similar where the three teams in the AFC East, especially like teams like the Jets and the Dolphins, even the Bills, like the dominance of Belichick and the Patriots had put these unrealistic expectations amongst the other three coaches in the division. And you, these teams, the Dolphins, uh, the Jets, they would find themselves just going after coach after coach after coach every other two years because the expectations to try to keep up, it's, it's, it's kind of virtually impossible. I mean, when you think about it, right? Um, now, obviously, the AFC East has gotten a little bit better. Um, and the coaches have gotten a little bit better. So there's not that there's there's not that gap anymore. But for 20 years, that there was that gap. And there were in and those teams, like I said, like I mentioned already, they were running through coaches because of Belichick. And you're seeing the same thing in college football in, in, in the SEC, uh, especially in the SEC West, you know, pertaining Arburn and so forth, where you can't beat Nick Saban. So you have these unrealistic expectations. The second thing is, is this. You got to think about how Coach O first got the job. You got you to gotta think about how Ed, or, how Ed Orgeron first landed the LSU job. And if you remember correctly, it was kind of by default. It was like, if we're being honest, it, he got the LSU job by necessary default. Like, you know, obviously he his three years at Ole Miss weren't great, right? Um, he had he had he had one year at USC. It's kind of weird at USC because he 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 was six and two, but they didn't invite him back, but they didn't fire him. So he went down to LSU, and then you you guys know the rest where Les Miles gets fired, and then Ed Orgeron takes over. But that same year, he was the interim coach. Tom Herman was up for the LSU job, and many thought that Tom Herman was going to get the LSU job, but he didn't. Or he he bargained, he used the LSU job as leverage to get the Texas job. So essentially, Tom Herman walked away from the LSU job um, and used that as leverage to get the Texas job, and then that's what put Ed Orgeron, um, you know, in this position as LSU's coach. So you break it down that way, it's kind of by default. And the reason why I brung that up is because I know fans, LSU fans, in the back of their minds somewhere, um, they're probably thinking like, yeah, this is the reason why he was like an intern, and this is the reason why like we were going out to Tom Herman. There was even rumors of Jimbo Fisher possibly going down to um, to LSU at some time uh, before, he took the ex- before he took the Texas A&M job. So... There's always that 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 stigma. I feel like where there's gonna be some of that in the back of uh, fans' head, fans' heads, where they like they're thinking about like, uh, we you know we kind of we kind of foresee this coming to fruition, and now it's kind of happening, you know. But I think we'll see how the season plays out. But I think Ed Orgeron, another year or two because of that national championship grace period, I think is fine. And if you look at his record since he's been at LSU, he's 45 and 15. 
45 and 15, he's won 75% of his games. So it's not like he's been, like, bad. Like, he hasn't been just atrocious. But, like I said, you you, you look at his resume, uh, obviously they went 15-0 and 0 in 2019. But you look at 10-3, and 9-4, like, it's just years like that where Alabama consistently wins 11 games on a yearly basis, like, consistently. And you're winning nine games, 10 games. Like, so I can see how that can get a bit nerve wracking, but it goes back to show you, I don't know. It's just the greatness of Saban and what he's done in Alabama. And given the fact of the history that Saban has with LSU, like Saban used to coach LSU, left LSU. Obviously the the Miami Dolphins thing didn't work out. Uh, So then he goes to Alabama who is, you know, basically rivals of LSU. So it, it, it's a bit weird and a, a funny dynamic. But um, LSU, let's, we, we'll see how their season trends, you know, how, how it continues to go. We'll see what trend they go in. But um, I'm not ready to panic on Coach, on coach O. I'm not the huge – I'm not the biggest Coach O fan. Um, like I said, he, he's more of a motivator not really a X's and O's type of guy. So we'll see. Um, we'll see how, you know, that assistant coaching thing works. But it's it's shaky. It's shaky. It's shaking LSU right now. Um, but let's move on. Uh, so as I said already, uh, sorry, as I said already, uh, since I did my predictions like a couple weeks ago, and it feels like so long ago that I did my predictions, right? So. I'm going to I'm going to redo my predictions given the fact that the NFL season is about to start again. Um what like in 2 days. Uh I'm going to give my predictions again. Uh my division winners and my playoff teams. Now you guys know how we do this. I taken I taken I try to take into account of everything. Um uh, and by the way, uh next episode I will do my top 10 teams. So I have my predictions, my like as far as division winners and so forth, playoff teams. But then I'm gonna have my top ten teams going into week one. But that's I'm gonna save that for next episode. So here are my predictions. I'm gonna start with the AFC. You guys know how we do it. We go from the AFC to the NFC. Um, division winners and um, playoff teams. So let's start with the AFC East. Uh, I'm gonna try to do a quick rundown. I don't want to be too long. Uh, Buff. I got Buffalo winning the AFC East. I think they're the best team. Best overall team in the in the in the division. I know what I'm getting from the quarterback position. Uh, offensively, they're solid. They're potent. Um, you you guys know I like Sean McDermott a lot. A lot of people are very very high on Buffalo this year. Um, I think with the if they can if they can somehow add a pass rush, which I think they will be able to with that defense. I think Buffalo is going to be. They obviously, I think they're probably the second best team in the in the AFC as of right now. So I got them at twelve and five. Um, I got New England at ten and seven. I think New England's going to be a pretty good football team. I, I do. Um, defensively, they're getting all their guys back defensively. Last time we saw New England with their whole defense, they were the number one defense in the league back in twenty nineteen. So, and I'm not saying they're going to be number one defense this year. But their defense, I expect that group, I expect that unit to be amongst the league's best. Um, <clears throat> rookie quarterback, Mac Jones, I know, but he he's he's comfortable. He's comfortable. And and, and I and I and I, I'm gonna continue to stress this. 
New England's not going to ask Mac Jones to go out there and win games. They're not going to ask him to be this prolific playmaker or this prolific passer. He's he's gonna he's gonna do the things that he's comfortable with doing. Um, so I, I got faith in New England. I think they'll go ten and seven, um, maybe even eleven and six. Looking at their schedule, I don't know, uh, but I think they're gonna be pretty good. Uh, Miami at nine and eight. Uh, I told you guys already. Miami and New England. I feel like they're they could be interchangeable. Could both of them finish ten and seven? Possibly. Um, I, but. I'm still shaky with Tua. I don't know. I, I feel like Miami did get better, but with Tua, I'm I, I still I'm still unsure. I'm st- still there's still a question mark there with me with Tua and Miami. But I still have them being a pretty good football team at nine and eight, and then the Jets at five and twelve. I don't I don't think I have to explain that. Um, AFC South. Um, Indianapolis. I have Indianapolis winning the division at ten and seven. I think that, like I said, best overall team. Um, they, they're going to control the line of scrimmage offensively and defensively controlling the line of scrimmage. Um, they finally, and Carson Wentz, and I know some people are down on Carson Wentz, but Indianapolis have lacked since the retirement of Andrew Luck, they have lacked athleticism in youth at the quarterback position. Carson Wentz gives you that. Um, I like Jonathan Taylor. I like Michael Pittman, um, defensively. I think they're going to be solid. So I think this Indianapolis team. The COVID stuff kind of scares me. It does. It does. But I'm going to still go with them at 10 and 7 and winning the AFC South. I got Tennessee at 9 and 8. Defensively, I'm still not sure what they're going to be. Offensively, I'm not worried. But defensively is where my question mark is with uh with 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 Tennessee. Jacksonville, 6 and 11. It's a rebuilding stuff. It's a rebuilding. It's a rebuilding place. It's a rebuilding franchise. I feel bad for Trevor Lawrence, but it is what it is. I think Jacksonville finishes 6-11. and 11. And then Houston, do I have to say much? Houston's going to be bad. 3-14. Uh, and 14. Um, AFC North. <clears throat> I have the – so I'm so close to really changing this because of the injuries at the running back position. I'm going to go with the Cleveland Browns for right now. I don't know. I'm going to go with the Cleveland Browns to win it. At at eleven and six, I'm gonna go with the Browns to win the division at eleven and six. Um, they're bringing back all eleven starters on offense. Uh, the big question, they're, so they're gonna be good offensively. Once again, with Cleveland, they got some new pieces in the secondary. We'll see, and and they're good pieces. We just gotta see how long it takes for them to jail to the new system. But I think Cleveland, with an improved secondary and offensively, with the what we know they can be. I think they, it puts them in a good position to be able to win uh, the division. With Baltimore, they've had some injuries. Um, the COVID stuff kind of scares me with Baltimore as well. Um, we, we'll see with Baltimore. I think they're still going to be a pretty good football team. They can still win 10, 11 games. Um, I'm not completely buying out I'm, or, or selling, I should say, um, Baltimore's stock. I think they're still going to be a pretty fo- pretty good football team. But, um, you know, there's I'm, – I'm, 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 I'm a, I'm a, I'm a – Proceed with caution with Baltimore. Uh, Pittsburgh, they'd be eight and nine. Uh, ben is aged poorly. Uh, offensive line is still average at best. So eight and nine for Pittsburgh. And then Cincinnati, six and 11. Rebuilding, um, still trying to find their way. They'd be exciting. And then AFC West, uh, I got Kansas City at 12 and five. I don't need to explain. Uh, the Chargers at 10 and 7. I think the Chargers, I'm really high on the Chargers. I think they're going to be a really good football team this year. 
Um, the Denver Broncos at seven and ten, and then I got the Las Vegas Raiders at seven and ten. So those are my AFC predictions. Let's move on to the NFC. So let's start with the NFC East. Uh, like I said, uh, I got Dallas at ten and seven. Um, this division, like I said, this division is wide open. It's wide open. I do think it's a three-team race between Dallas, the Giants, and uh, the Washington football team. But I think Dallas, with the with with them having the better quarterback, the superior quarterback in the division, in division play, I think that will um, that will help them and that will supersede them over those two teams that I mentioned at ten and seven. Uh, Washington at nine and eight. I still think Washington is going to be a really good football team. They're well coached, great defense. Um, I just don't know what I'm getting with Ryan Fitzpatrick, I, 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 or I know what I'm getting. But I don't know which Ryan Fitzpatrick I'm getting on a week-to-weekend basis. Uh, he can throw you out of games. He can throw you in games. I think ultimately the Washington's defense is going to keep them in a lot of football games. So I got them at 9-8. and eight. The Giants, pretty good roster. Um, offensive line, inconsistent. Daniel Jones, inconsistent. So I got them at 8-9. and nine. And then Philadelphia, I think it's a lot of aging, expensive parts um, in Philadelphia. We'll see how it fares, but I got them at I got them at five and twelve. Um, AFC, let's go to the NFC North. <clears throat> Green Bay Packers. I got the Green Bay Packers at ten and seven. Um, they win the North. Uh, offensive line kind of scares me. They lost, you know, David Bakhtiari starts out on the pup list. They lost Corey Lindsley via free agency to the Chargers. So the offensive line kind of shaky. They decided to pay Aaron Jones, which is fine, but. I don't think they're as dynamic as they once were um, last year. I, I, I don't know. I don't think they're as dynamic. Plus, obviously, it's a lot of drama in Green Bay right now. It's a lot of drama. It's 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 it's, it's cooled down since preseason has started, but there's still a lot of drama, a lot of friction in the front office. Um, and second place, I got Minnesota at nine and eight. I think they have a bounce back year. Um, not I, defensively, I think they'd be a little bit better. Not really huge on Minnesota though. Uh, Chicago eight and nine. I still think it's a work in progress. Offense. I, I just don't see enough like offensive weaponry. Um, I don't know when Justin Fields is going to take the field. I would probably no, and that's no pun intended. Um, I probably would think it would probably be sooner than later. Um, but we'll see. Eight and nine for Chicago though, and then Detroit. I got Detroit at five and twelve. Uh, I don't know what Detroit is going to do, but you know, come on. Um, let's go to the NFC South. Obviously, I got Tampa Bay at 13 and 4. I don't need to explain. Uh, New Orleans at 9 and 8. I do think New Orleans, they they went with Jameis Winston as their starting quarterback. I do think that's the right move. <clears throat> Excuse me. I do think that's the right move. Uh, I think Jameis Winston gives you more as far as the throwing element uh, as your starting quarterback than Taysom Hill. Uh, so I think they'd, they'd be a good team. I'm not sure if – I don't think they're going to make the playoffs, but New Orleans will be a good team. Uh, I got Carolina at 8-9. I think Carolina is going to be one of the more entertaining teams in football. You look at the weapons that they have, you know, amongst Sam Darnold, uh, Matt Rule. I like what he's doing. He's a really good culture builder. So I, I like Carolina a lot. I think Carolina is one of those sneaky teams that could, you know, be fighting for possibly a playoff spot. Uh, I think they fall short, obviously, but I got them at eight and nine. And then at Atlanta, I got them at seven and ten. Uh, they'd be competitive because they score points, but 
I just don't they, they they just can't stop a nosebleed. They can't stop a headache if you gave them an aspirin. So uh, I got them at seven and ten. And then um my let's go on to the NFC West, who the NFC West I think is the best division in football. Uh I have the Rams at eleven and six winning the NFC West. I do. I like I said early in the episode, Matthew Stafford is not gonna have to be a savior. He's gonna be what they need. Um the Rams, top heavy. They're very top heavy. They have become very top heavy. They did lose Brandon Staley as their DC, but I still think they'll be a really good football team. Good enough coach led by Sean McVay offensively. Uh, the injuries do kind of scare me to, at the running back position, but I think they have fared well. So I got them at eleven uh, at eleven and six. I got Seattle also at eleven and six. The Seahawks. A little top-heavy as well, but I think they, throughout the course of the season, they'll be fine. Uh, hopefully, they let Russ cook. Um, I mean, it, it's a it, it's good news that they re-signed Dwayne Brown, so they were able to retain Dwayne Brown. Um, so, you know, Seattle, I think they'll be in the thick of things, like always, 11-6. Uh, I got the San Francisco 49ers at 10-7. and I, I think they'll be 10-7. and this is this, this. It just shows you their third place team with ten wins. It shows you how strong that division is. Um, San Fran, if they can remain healthy, and I'm mainly talking about Garoppolo, if Garoppolo can stay healthy for a good vast majority of the season, I think the 49ers would definitely be in playoff contention. They're 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 too well coached. They have too much talent on both sides of the ball. If they can remain healthy at the quarterback position. San Francisco will find themselves in the playoffs, I think. And then lastly, the the, the Cardinals. I got them at eight and nine. The front office, they they went, they made moves this offseason like they want to win now, which is fine, which is okay. That's great. But they play in such a damn tough division. I just can't see them overtaking one of these three teams. Um, also, I'm you guys know I'm not huge on Cliff Kingsbury. He got fired by who? Who gets fired by your alma mater? I, I'm just not huge on Cliff Kingsbury. They plus Arizona lost six out of the last nine games last year, so they're. I, I, I want to see how they bounce back, but I'm just not huge on Cliff Kingsbury. Obviously, I like Colin Mary. I like the moves that they made this summer, um, or this spring, I should say. But I, just not huge on Clint, on Cliff Kingsbury. So I'm gonna give you guys my playoff teams right now. So, uh, the number one seed in the in the AFC, Kansas City. Then there's Buffalo. Then there's Cleveland. Then there's Indianapolis. Those are my four division winners. And then I have New England as the wild card team, Baltimore as a wild card team, and then the LA Chargers as a wild card team. So those are my three wild card teams. So these are my division winners: Kansas City, Buffalo, Cleveland. Indianapolis, wild card teams, New England, Chargers, um, New England Chargers, and Baltimore. Those are my those are my three wild card teams. And then for the NFC, I have uh, Tampa Bay, L.A., L.A. Rams, uh, Dallas, Green Bay. Those are my four division winners. And then my three wild card teams. Uh, is Seattle, San Francisco, and the Washington football team. Those are my three wild card teams. 
my three wild card teams, Seattle, San Francisco, Washington football team, my four division winners, Tampa Bay, Rams, Packers, Cowboys. So those are my playoff teams uh, for right now. I feel like I said, I feel pretty good about these these predictions. I'm usually right about these predictions. Usually right. So uh, I, I, I do think it's going to fare well. But uh, this is going to wrap it up. But, um, yeah, these are my predictions. I'll be back next episode to give you guys my top 10 teams. My top 10 teams going into week one. Make sure you guys have a safe and sound uh, rest of the week. Um, I appreciate you. I appreciate you guys continuously listening to my podcast and spreading my podcast means a lot. I truly, truly do appreciate it. Um, but I, without further ado, I'm gonna let you go. Peace, adios, deuces, enjoy. I see you guys later.